0: Welcome everybody to Bridge Builders Communities Church Sermon Podcast. You are listening to one of our messages from our weekly gathering. We hope that you sit back and enjoy and be blessed. When a, a building is condemned, it usually means that it's unsafe or unfit to, to, to live in. And eventually it is is tore down and reduced to rubble. Sometimes a building is left to kind of decay by itself, and over time, it it falls down and into rubble. And I think when it happens in a person's life, it's, it's just it's just as devastating. That same condemnation feeling, it's just as devastating, and more devastating. The, uh, condemnation is, a, is a, indeed a powerful, depressing word. It's a it's a hope killing word. And it doesn't help that we live in a world that is a condemning place. The political message, the educational message, and even unfortunately, sometimes the religious message is is a condemning one, not one that brings hope or life or freedom. This is how powerful this spirit is this condemning spirit. It, It seeks to rob and steal and destroy. Certainly a tactic of the enemy. And the truth is that our own past, our own sin, our own trauma can be a condemning place as well. If we stay there. If we live in it. If we visit it often. It can eventually, leaving this structure of our life, this this foundation that we built of our walk with Jesus to, to crumble at times. Because we, we continually visit with the spirit of This wound of condemnation. It's awful. It's hurtful. It's painful. Condemnation is this, is a constant state of guilt, a consistent state of mindset of, of, of guilt. And I think it leads to this overwhelming fear of being judged. The fear of being judged for being not good enough, not Wealthy enough, not smart enough, not educated enough, fill in the blank enough. The fear leads us to not invest in our life, not to do the things that would help us mature, to grow, to, to take steps forward, because we're afraid of people judging us if we fail. And believe it or not, we actually we get afraid in the same way even if we succeed. We're afraid of judgment. Sometimes we're afraid to succeed because of what people will say, what people will think. That's a condemning spirit. That's living in this constant state of of being guilty. But it's not for sons and daughters of God. It is not for us to live in this, this constant state of guilt. Sometimes this constant state of guilt makes us feel like we don't deserve a second chance if you don't hear anything else this morning i want you to hear this truth that i'm going about to tell you okay this truth will set you free okay if you're here this morning or if you have struggled recently with the fact that you don't deserve a second chance here's the truth you didn't deserve a first chance okay you didn't deserve i didn't deserve any chance but god Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Can we stop worrying about how many chances we get? How many chances we deserve? Let's just concentrate and the fact, by grace, we are saved. And those of us who are in Christ Jesus, therefore there is now, and for all eternity, no condemnation. The problem with this consistent state of feeling guilty, and I think it leaves us wide open to temptation. Wide open for sin to creep in. The constant state of feeling Shame or fear of judgment leads us to despair. And despair is desperate for relief. Despair is desperate for relief of any kind. When you get desperate enough, you, <laughs> you will almost grab for anything to, for relief. In a spiritual sense, this is extremely dangerous. Because sin Becomes this kind of false promise of relief. A false promise of a fix. Of soothing something. I just, I just need, I need relief. So I'm just gonna do this. I'm gonna decide to believe this. It's really subtle, but this is what this constant state of guilt will lead people We have to be aware of what this wound does to us and how it corrupts our view of who God is and how it corrupts our view of who we are. And God so desperately wants to free us from this because this is not how He wants us to live our life. Living under that kind of weight of doubt, disbelief, and distrust. Doubt, disbelief, and distrust. I think those are the triple D's of destruction. They lead us open to the enemy's lies and false promises of relief and comfort. That's why we have to understand and see condemnation the way God sees condemnation. Listen to this wonderful, beautiful quote by Max Locato when he's talking about God. He says, We hide, but he seeks. We bring sin. He brings a sacrifice. We try fig leaves, and he brings a robe of righteousness. Man, that's so good. That is so good. So if you return to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Gospel of John, chapter 8. This is a powerful story of a life and death struggle. There's a woman's life in balance in this story. And the way Jesus deals with it, his life is in danger as well. The story is full of accusations, it's full of condemnation, but I believe it's so full of restoration, of redemption. It's a powerful story. Beginning in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisee brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to him, to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. The the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, I actually think cooked up this scenario. They're using this woman as bait. That is both cruel and unimaginable to me. All to catch Jesus. So that they can get rid of Jesus. Because if he condemns her, it makes his message of love and unconditional love and mercy, it makes him a hypocrite. Also, according to Roman law, they would have to try this case, not public opinion. So he'd be going against his own message of love and redemption and against Roman law as well. If he went against the Jewish tradition of stoning this woman... He'd be breaking Mosaic law. They thought they had Jesus between a rock and a hard place. I love our master's response. And there's something to learn here on so many different levels. See, every part of this story, there's, there's a subtle nuance I think God is speaking to us today. Sometimes when the world gets very loud and full of accusations and condemnation, our best response is to be quiet. Look, there's a world of social media out there that baits us. There's a there is a educational world out there that baits us. There's a financial world out there that baits us. There is even a religious world out there that baits us to make a response before we think. Before we pray. Before we get on our knees and seek Father's voice. We're supposed to be vocal. We're supposed to speak up, but only after God gives us the words. So I think there's something in that, but I think that the beauty of Jesus is that he, he says he stoops down to write in the dirt. The woman is on the ground. She's been tossed there. Violently. She is either naked or she's partially clothed because she was, she was caught in the act of it. And people were circled around her. She is humiliated beyond words. Desperate to hide underneath any partial clothing that she might have, trying to crawl her very self into the dirt. And Jesus stoops down to beyond her level. It's amazing. And he starts to write in the dirt. Do you ever wonder what Jesus wrote in the dirt? I know I've talked about this before, but it's important to, to, to go over this. Because Jesus was teaching them a lesson. Now, the high priest, when somebody was brought to him to be uh, accused of some, breaking some law, was required to stoop down to write in the dirt their, the, person, the name of the person accused and what law they broke. And he was required to write it in something that was non-permanent. The dust. The dirt. So that it could be easily wiped away. Jesus was acting like the high priest here. The thing about this story, is, there's a quite interesting thing that the, the scribes and the Pharisees left out of this plot. They didn't really think this through. When someone was accused of adultery, there was people involved. Not just one person. Both the man and the woman were brought before the high priest and if they were accused. If they were caught in adultery. More often there was more grace towards the man, but they were both brought in front of the priest. And only the woman is there. This is a significant point in the story. So Jesus is on the ground acting a like high priest. On the same level as the woman. Writing out the accusation. But he was also to write the names of the accusers in the, in the dirt. And here's the other problem with the plot. There had to have been two witnesses to the act. And the, and the scribes and the Pharisees produced none. This is huge. And there's no part of this story that is, that is not important. It is important that Jesus said nothing at first. It's important that Jesus got down on the same level acting as priest, Showing that he was willing to obey the law even if they weren't. It's really huge. Really huge. So Jesus stoops down. He's in the dirt. He's writing in the dirt. And I'm sure everybody is kind of like trying to figure out what's going on. And verse seven it says, And they continue to ask him. They continue to press Jesus for, for an answer. They still think that their plot's gonna work. They're gonna they're gonna trap Jesus. Who does that sound like? Saying condemnation is the enemy's currency. And he will spend it as freely as he can on you, on me. The enemy will continue to bring up your times that you were caught. The times that you were caught. Over and over again, hoping to catch you again. Not necessarily in the same sin, but in shame and rejection. Guilt and fear. Satan loves throwing us underneath the bus. He loves bringing up our past trauma, pain, sin, mistakes, over and over again, hoping that we will feel condemned or be condemned. And I think the worst of that is, is that when we choose to believe the accusations, and we condemn ourselves. See, the enemy doesn't really need to have other people condemn us, because we do a really good job of it ourselves. The truth is, you know, people's words out there, they'll come and go. The opinion of Jay Cookingham will be good in some places and bad in some other places. And it will most likely in my lifetime change. I can't control that. To a certain degree, I have influence by how I live my life, yes. But I can't control people's opinion of me. But I can control my opinion of me. By whose word I believe. I believe the... Accuser of the brethren? Or do I believe the advocate of my soul? And that's the choice here. When the, the enemy comes to condemn us and bring up whatever he brings up to condemn us, he's trying to get us to accept that accusation as truth. We have a choice. We have a choice. Because condemnation is not for sons and daughters. But I do believe that there are times that we we still expect Jesus to throw the first stone. And I just want to say this. To, to think that Jesus is capable of throwing the first stone at us is to have a warped idea about who God is. And we need, we need to think differently. We need to believe differently. And I believe this story tells us this. To believe that God is good, merciful, kind, faithful to everyone else but me is accepting a lie. And it's like lining up for target brackets and then handing the enemy the rocks in order to throw at us. The power of the enemy is the lie. So if we believe the truth, we disarm the enemy. Power is the lie. So if we believe the truth, he has no power. And I love, this is what Jesus does, I think, in this story. He shows us how to disarm the accuser. He's, this is, again, there's no action in this story that's that not symbolic. Jesus was, he was down. He was on her level. He hasn't said a word yet. They're pressuring him for an answer. Trying to trap him with his own words. Whose law is he going to break? And it says, and Jesus stood up. Jesus stood up and says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus stands up. He stands up for the condemned. He stands up for the accused. This is not only a brilliant response, but an unarming one as well. Here's the cool part of this story. The first Stones. The first stones to be thrown were supposed to be thrown by the two witnesses who are not there. Jesus is saying, where are they? Where are they? And then he calls out the crowd and says, okay, by whose righteousness can you throw the first stone? And there's none that's righteous. He knows this. He knows the witnesses are not there. And he knows that their lives are not there either. That there's no one righteous in that crowd to throw the first stone. Except one person. Who's now stood up for the condemned. I don't know about you, but that's just beautiful to me. That's just beautiful to me. Jesus knows that those two uh, witnesses are not there, so he challenges the crowd to act on their own righteousness. And then Jesus does something extremely important again. He goes back to the ground to write some more. Now, most scholars, because of the following verse, think that Jesus is writing a specific scripture passage in the dirt. One that, see, this crowd is if not all, is mostly men. I don't think there's a woman in this crowd. It doesn't mention it, but more so like it. These are, but they would have heard this particular scripture since they were a young boy in the synagogue. They would, this following verse in Jeremiah, they would have learned over and over again because it was important for, because this is a prophecy of the Messiah. And they would have learned this verse in Jeremiah. So I'm going to read this verse to you. You, you think about this and see why this might have changed the tone of this crowd and had them walk away. Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. 13. Again, this is a prophecy for the Messiah. It says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the law, Lord, the spring of living water. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. That's huge. Verse 9, it says, When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. The ones who have heard this this verse the longest. They, They saw something. They felt something. Truth was revealed to them that this wasn't an, an ordinary religious person writing in the dirt. There's no mention of a conversion here, or that just says there was something that disturbed them enough to cause them to walk away one by one. And this is why many scholars believe this is what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day because it would have convicted them. It's amazing. They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing. Remember, this woman was violently thrust in the middle of a crowd, thrown to the ground, accused. And now she's standing. Again, there's no part of this story that is not important. The courtyard is quiet. The crowd is left. Just Jesus, the woman, the pile of stones, and the woman is standing. Condemned people don't stand. Condemned people don't stand. They're on the ground until they're judged, until they're stoned. This woman has realized something that she no longer is being condemned. This is beautiful. This is huge that she's getting this picture. She understands this. I think she understands this. That there's only one person left that could accuse her. There's only one person that was in perfect righteousness that could condemn her. But there was, only one, there was also one person in perfect righteousness that could free her. And she senses this by her response. After Jesus says, Jesus stood up again. This is beautiful. He stood up again and says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, the Greek word for condemn there means a legal pronouncement of guilt. So Jesus is standing up as a legal representative here, an advocate. And he says, Where are your accusers? Is there anyone left here to condemn you? That's including himself. That question is including himself. Is there anyone left here to condemn you? And her response is, no one, Lord. The Greek word there for Lord means supreme authority. She's talking about God here. That's a word, that Greek word that they used, they only used for God. Supreme authority. She recognizes who Jesus is. She says, there's no one here that's left to condemn me. And so Jesus confirms it. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. Whew. Just let that sink in for a minute. She understood that Jesus was not there to condemn her; He was there to free her. That is so awesomely beautiful. What a what a picture! His response is clear: I don't condemn you but I do expect you to change. Now, she was, she was caught in the act of adultery. She, maybe she was set up. I get the feeling that she was. But she was caught in the act of adultery. So there, there was, she did do something that was wrong against some law, some moral law, some mosaic law, some whatever law. She did break it. She did sin. But Jesus shows compassion rather than condemning her. I believe that sin is exposed in order to free us. Not to condemn us. It's really the beauty of God to expose sin in our lives. So that we can be free. So that restoration can happen. But he says, go and sin no more. That's a call to become someone greater. It's an invitation to become his disciple. His son and daughter. I mean, what is Jesus supposed to say there? Go and sin some more. Go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. Prove to me that you're not sinning, and then I, then I, then I won't condemn you. You look, know, go and sin no more, but if you screw up, don't expect me to be there. I mean, what else is Jesus supposed to say here? He set her free. He wants her to continue to walk in freedom. And to be free from sin. So it means that, again, we, we, we say this over and over and over again here at First Builders. It is possible not to sin. Okay? Jesus said so. Go and sin no more. Go and live in relationship with me. Go and be my disciple. Become my son. Become my daughter. And you cannot walk in any more freedom than that. It's amen. This is a great thing that Jesus says here. You know, I've I freed you, but I expect you to change. Just like condemnation is the enemy's currency, compassion is God's currency. And God loves to spend it on us. God loves to invest in us with his compassion. Again, Romans 8, verses 1-2. to Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, there is now no condemnation unless we hold so tightly it becomes part of us. We have to release this thing. We have to live, live inside it's God's grace. I read that verse and this, this song comes to my mind. It's probably not one that you're thinking of right now. Celebrate good times. Come on. I mean, really. I know that was awful. I'm sorry. but But really. Do you think when that woman got up and went her way, she was not celebrating? I mean, she she had to be. Now, here's the other thing. Do you think Jesus walked away from that and not celebrated? (laughs) Jesus was saying, man, I just restored a daughter. I just restored someone. She was about to die. And I might have convinced some other people in that crowd what the truth is. I did what the Father wanted me to do. Of course Jesus was celebrating. How could He not? I know this woman had to be. Imagine. She was caught. She was accused. Now she was free. Man, I tell you, I'd be, I'd be celebrating. Celebrate good times, come on. Right now we are free from the enemy's currency. Romans eight thirty three 33-34. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who is there to condemn us? For Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, was raised to life. He's at the right hand of God, and He is interceding for us. That is powerful stuff. You have a huge superpower this morning. You may not have realized this. It's called repentance. Because all repentance does is set you free. If we sincerely turn our heart back towards the Father, who is running to meet us? The Father. Who is there ready to put a ring back on our finger, put shoes back on our feet, put a robe on us, And then have a huge party. The Father is. We come to our senses. And we return home to the Father. We go a different way. We change our behavior. We change our motives. We change our opinions by the blood of Jesus washing us clean. Repentance is an underrated superpower of the Christian. It gets a bad rap. Because it thinks like we're we're being found out. And that's the condemning spirit. See, usually when I'm afraid of being found out, I am already condemning myself. That's what that fear does. And for years, after I came back and recommitted my life to God, I had a few wonderful years of freedom. And then... The condemnation of all the things I did when I rebelled against God hit me like a, a ton of bricks. And I allowed self-condemnation to drive me into this false identity of being a martyr for Jesus. I thought I had to, in order to be humble, I had to do all kinds of stuff, all kinds of work. And I was trapped in it until I repented. Until finally, you know, one day the Lord just spoke to me and said, there was already one martyr. There doesn't need to be another. And you dying is not really going to prove anything so or help anyone. But you're living, Will. You're living for me, Will. How about that? How about just do that? Therefore there is now, now, forevermore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and we are in Christ Jesus so I believe that God would like us to walk out those doors today as free sons and daughters and wherever we walk this week act like walk like talk like people who know who they are in Christ not perfectly But we will not let anything condemn us anymore. Because condemnation doesn't come from God. It only comes from the enemy. It's the enemy's currency. See, compassion will lead us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. That makes us understand that we can return to the Father's house and be accepted. Whereas condemnation makes us run away and hide. And that's not for us. Amen.